HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Today's program has been brought to you by Heritage Foods USA, the nation's largest distributor of heritage breed pigs and turkeys. For more information, visit heritagefoodsusa.com. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network, broadcasting live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. If you like this program, visit heritageradionetwork.org for thousands more. Good morning. You're listening to In the Drink on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. I'm your host, Joe Campanelli. Uh, Before we get started today, um, I did want to talk about um, our annual charity event that the Epicurean Group organizes called Not My Day Job. Um, Not My Day Job is great. Uh, we, uh, We conceived of it as a venue to give people in the restaurant industry um, a place for them to showcase uh, their their talents and their interests um, outside of the of the restaurant world. Um, it's a really fun day. We'll have uh, we'll have music acts, uh, singing, acting, comedy, uh, dancing, all sorts of fun stuff. Uh, a ton of great restaurants are going to be there. Great cocktails. Um, and uh, and it is uh, all for charity as well. Um, you can pick up tickets at notmydayjob.eventbrite.com. Um, and that is on the 27th of October. We hope to see you there. Uh, all right. Now, without any further ado, I'm really excited. Uh, I, I've... I've had some uh, truly memorable, um, influential experiences in my personal professional career because of uh, our guest on our show today. Um, today we have on Mr. Steve Olson, uh, co-founder of AKA Wine Geek, um, the Bar School. Um, he just opened up a new restaurant called Apartment Thirteen. Um, he has been in the industry for uh, for for many years, um, but always doing some pretty exciting things. Working for my favorite restaurant as well, uh, Gramercy Tavern, where he uh, created the bar program over there. Uh, my first time, Steve. Welcome to the show. First of all, well, thank you, Joe. It's a pleasure to be here, and thank you for that nice introduction. I'm not sure I'm worthy of all of that. I I wish I wish I had uh, I was more articulate and I could better describe how uh, how awesome I think you are. Then <laughs> uh, then I, I would You're, do that. <laughs> Now see, now, see, from my standpoint as an old veteran in this business, see, I think you're pretty damn awesome. Anybody who can do, what, what do you have, four restaurants now? 
all of which are amazing and all of which feel like your personality that have amazing fruit. I mean, come on. And I'm not trying to blow smoke. I just, you know, I, I love what you do. And, I, and I'm, I'm here mainly because I enjoy you as a restaurateur and as a person so much. And I thought, geez, any excuse to sit and hang out with Joe is a good one. So here I am. Oh, wow. thank you. I remember the first time you came to Lartuzzi, I was nervous. You know, more more nervous than uh, I was like, oh, my God, that's Steve Olsen. Steve Olsen is at Lartuzzi. That's so cool. <laughs> and uh, and you came in and, God, you, it was disarming how nice you are. Like, like, are you really that nice? Is that is that? And then getting to know you more over the years, the the answer is yes. Uh, and uh, and when, when you came back, boy, what a, what a compliment uh, that was. But I remember the first time I met you uh, was actually the one and only time I've ever been to Per Se, uh, and you were doing an event there with uh, the wines of Spain, um, and they were bringing some some new younger producers and it was uh it was fascinating because it wasn't just you know these are some delicious wines and some pretty awesome food it was uh it, it you you brought a level of uh education of knowledge of of great uh perspective to the event um and i, I thought it was it was a truly an enlightening uh, uh, uh time I'll, I'll always remember that well, thank you, but I mean, come on, how bad can it be? The best wine from Spain matched with Per Se's food. It's like, it makes my job really easy. But, you know, that, that's really what it's about, Joe. You know, I mean, to me, you know, food has always come first. I mean, that's really been the secret to my, if, if it's a secret, <laughs> that's, that's my success key right there, is that I've always aligned myself with great chefs. Um, I love food, and I, to me, what what you and I do, you know, in, in our line of work it is is not about it's not about us. It's not about our wine list and it's not about our, our cocktail program and our exciting handcrafted beers and our cool boutique wines and all the stuff that you and I both love to do. It's about making the food, if at all possible, taste even better than it already does when it leaves the chef's fingertips. It's it's about enhancing the dining experience to the level that okay if the food's not amazing, they're not coming back. So my job is to make sure that that food is just showcased in such a way that it's brilliant. And then, okay, all the cool things in our world, we get to put next to it. All the cool beverages, the beautiful service, the warmth, the friendliness. And I mean, I, to me, the, the, out of all the things you just said about me, the most important thing you said to me was, what a nice guy I am. And it's not because I've, I worked so hard to be a nice guy. Joe, I'm... I'm a server. All my life, I, everything I ever have done in my life, I'm a service guy. That's what I do. And when I set up Gramercy Tavern, which was one of the greatest experiences of my lifetime, working with Danny and Tom, my role there was, you know, they, they hadn't done an opening like that at that time. And Danny had opened Union Square by himself, you know, on his own, just like learning as he went. And so I was hired to to orchestrate the opening, to be in charge of the opening. But my role there was the, was yes, I was the beverage director, but I was also the service director. And for me, it was service and beverage director, not the other way around, because to me, they're so closely linked. You can't have one without the other. And so, and then that's what I was really known for is creating service programs. So to me, I, I, I will I remember one time, you know, my partner, Doug Frost and I were, we used to do this spirits show all around the world, this one-day certification program. Now, of course, we're partners in BAR, our five-day intensive kind of master's-level 
spirits and, and mixology course. And it is my dream it. to do that one day. I, 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 and you will. I, I salivate. Will. I'm will. on your website all the time. There's a lot of great information on, on, uh, on the website. And it, I, will, I will, mark my words, I will do that program one day. You have the, the greatest people in the industry teaching it. And some of the greatest people in the industry have, have been students. Like People you are like, what do you have to learn? You're, you're brilliant. And you're like, oh, yeah, well, I went to bar. You're like, oh, that's probably yeah. why you're brilliant. <laughs> Uh, I tell you, we just finished our class, um, you know, our, our annual five-day. And every year we say, oh, my God, that was the greatest group ever. But you know what it is, is that our industry is increasing at such an incredible rate. And the mixology community, if you will, is growing and expanding and becoming so much more elevated that, yeah, every year's a better group because every year we have we have a, a greater audience to choose from, if you will. I mean, the 53 people that went through bar last week were just, it was mind-blowing. But to that, to that end, if anybody listening out there wants to get into that, the first step, if you're a bartender, you go to Bar Smarts. Bar Smarts is our prerequisite course. It's our intermediate course, and that's how you find out where you're at. And it's barsmarts.com or barsmartswired is this online program where you can learn this stuff and and do the prerequisite and if you're not a bartender and you still want to learn how to make great cocktails at home you know we created something for consumers this year called drink school which is really cool with videos and you, you can literally learn how to make these fabulous cocktails that your that your mixologist idols are making in the bars you can learn how to make them at home and how to do it and how to how to wow your friends at a dinner party so you know, this is not information that we covet and protect. As you know, it to us, it's about sharing. But I remember, I was just going to say, I remember one time that Doug, Doug once said to an audience, I used to be a server. You know, just as part of something he was teaching, yeah, I used to be a server, blah, blah, blah. And I went, whoa, 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 hang on. Said, Doug, I'm sorry, I just have to stop you right there. Used to be a server? I said, Doug, once you're a server, man, you are always a server. That is, it's in your blood. To me, service is, and, and it's really cool that people are actually finally starting to kind of respect service as a, as a profession. You know, what, what you and I and, and so many of our colleagues and friends do, I've always been very proud of what I do. And, and I've always, <laughs> all my life, Joe, all I ever wanted was for people to stop asking me what I was going to do when I grow up. <laughs> it's like, no, no, I do this. I'm proud of this. I love that thing you were talking about. You're not my day job. What a brilliant idea, because we work with some of the coolest people in the world that many of them do really exciting things and have, have great talents. Many of them have decided to focus that energy and those talents and that creativity and that intelligence into the restaurant business. Mm -hmm. Whichever you choose, it doesn't matter. It draws a very, very special kind of person. And, and what I consider as a server is somebody who lives for the idea of making people happy. And to me, that's the most noble thing on the planet. And if you look, you know, it, it's, um, think, of, think of any great religion. You know, the ultimate step towards reaching nirvana, if you will, <laughs> is you have to learn the, the, the idea of service. You have to learn to serve others. And the lowest form of animal life that you serve, the higher elevated you can become, you know? And to us, I'm not saying that our customers are low forms of animal life by any stretch of the imagination, but rather we get to serve the greatest people on the planet. 
we serve New Yorkers and we serve tourists that come to our wonderful restaurants and bars that want to learn and want to grow and want to experience and want to see things. And to me, that's, man, I've been given the most unbelievable stage, you know, and, and yes, I've created that, but at the same time, to me, it's a gift. Yeah, I, I think you're hitting on, on a few really interesting things here. Uh, well, for, first of all, uh, you're in, in the not too distant past when someone would would ask you and you're like, you'd say, you know, you're a server. The answer, the, the follow up question would be like, all right, so what are you waiting to do? What are you what are you going to do after yeah. that? And and now now there's there's a, you know, a respectability to them. People, you know, if you're a surfer at a, at a great restaurant, people are. You're all of a sudden the cool person at that party. You're the interesting person uh, at that party. Um, but the that's, other thing that's that maybe the most exciting thing in the industry to me right now yeah. is the fact that people are respecting that. I love it. I love it. And, and the other thing that that you hit on that that uh, that we talk about uh, a lot in, in my restaurant group is uh, the a, a type of service that that isn't the kind of service where you roll out the red carpet and whatever the guest wants and you are you know you are the servant and the the guest is is the king it's not that kind of service and it's not the opposite kind of service either where you know the guest comes into your restaurant and whatever you say goes screw what the guest wants because you know best you're the all knowing you know omnipotent but it's rather the service now that you're seeing at more and more places where it's a conversation and it's and it it's uh, ultimately you're taking care and making the guests happy but they're participating in in the service as well because they're they're interested and they they want to participate in it. and I think that I think that's what you're talking about as well Exactly what I'm talking about I couldn't have put that into better words and it, it's and it's and it's welcoming and it's open and it's you know we just want to we want you to have a good time That's that, to me that that is the the nature of what we do is that look if you if you know if you walk into a restaurant and the server seems to know what they're doing and they seem to have a clue the the one thing that a, that a guest should do in my opinion is trust that server to show them the best time that they can have so now obviously there are places that aren't quite the way we try to do it and they might what you and I would call it, they might try to clip you which we we don't we don't believe in, you know. I mean, that idea of upselling is so that's a dinosaur to us. To me, to me, it's like, look, you know how much you want to spend, you know why you came here. All I want to do is help make sure that you spend whatever it is you're comfortable with in the best way that you can to have the best experience possible. Because I want you to walk out of my restaurant going. Oh my God, I can't wait to come back here because they made me feel so good and that food was so delicious. And then if later on you go, oh yeah, and the drinks were good too. Oh wow, and that was a neat bottle of wine. I wonder what it was that I drank. That's okay. But the last thing I ever want is for you to say, oh man, that was expensive. Or, oh wow, you know, that was a really nice bottle of Cabernet. That was really good. The food, yeah, it was just okay. And then I haven't done my job. You know, my job is to show you the best experience you can possibly have and have you walk out feeling like you got a good deal, you had a great time. You know, if you walk in just ready to kind of scope it out and check it out and see what we're about, I want you to walk out blown away. If you walk in having a bad day, I want you to walk out feeling pretty darn good about yourself. If you walk in thinking, hey, let's have some fun, I want you to have a celebration that's so memorable you never forget it. And if you come in to celebrate something, 
man, I want to make sure that we are one of the photos in your scrapbook that you're showing your friends going, we had the greatest time ever. I will never forget it. I mean, that to me, no matter what attitude a guest walks in with, I'm going to do my best to make it better when they walk out. That's, to me, service. That's, that's what it's about. Well, so I, taking somebody to that level. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. And, you know, I, I don't know a ton about your new restaurant yet. So uh, I, I already, based, based on what you just told me and, and how, how, how well I know you, uh, I, I, I'm dying to go. But what else can you tell us about Apartment 13 um, and what, what you're doing uh, over there? Oh, it's really fun, Joe. You you will love it. It is it is so right up your alley. I, I when you were saying you know that time that I came into Lartuzzi, you know what's really ironic about that situation, and I don't even know. I'm sure you remember because I know the way you are. But I mean, I was there with my wife, of course, and with two very good friends of ours who are far more important and famous in the restaurant than I, will chefs, ever, yeah. than I will ever be. But <laughs> I was with you know a major cookbook writing, TV star, celebrity chef. Mm-hmm. And and when you came to the table, you know, I thought you were coming over to meet him. And you were like, I just want to meet you. So no, I, I knew, and I knew who he was, but to me, you're the man. Like, you... <laughs> You know, as as uh, as someone who came up through the through the beverage world uh, and and the hospitality industry, it's 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 to me you're you're the man, and I, I was so I honored was to see you there. Man. When you walked away from the table, they were all going, "Wow!" <laughs> <laughs> That's what they said. Govin looks over at me, and goes, "Dude, you are the man." <laughs> but anyway, um, apartment thirteen. It's um, it's a wonderful place. You know, I lived in the East Village for years, and and it's where. You know where I feel very comfortable in New York City. When I opened Gramercy, and during that time period of my life, when I opened Marazzi, Typhoon Brewery, and all those crazy places, I was living in the East Village and loving it. And so um, I'm back in the East Village in my roots. Uh, but we're we've gone further east. We're now down on Avenue C between Seventh and Eighth, and I love where we are because I'm surrounded by some of my favorite, favorite cocktail bars and some of my favorite people in the world. You know, I've got Pouring Ribbons on one side. I've got Summit up the street. I've got Wayland across the street. Death and Company's around the corner. Maury and Margo's right there. PDT, Jimmy's like two blocks away from me. Maya Wells just around the corner. I mean, it's crazy. All of these great cocktail bars are down there. And one thing that they all do is make great drinks. One thing that none of them really do at our level is serve great food. And we're, we're a cocktail bar because we love to make cocktails, but we are a restaurant. As a matter of fact, our featured cocktails are all designed specifically to match the food on the menu. And the way it works, you walk into our place, it's very small. There's a downstairs with a raw bar, and then upstairs is this really intimate little dining room experience. And the, the reason it's called Apartment 13 is I've partnered with two incredible people, um, Lorraine Doig, and John Keller. John is a chef who I adore. And um, it, I mean, back to what I said before, Joe, you know, it's all about the food. You know, imagine what it took for me to, to actually, you know, partner up and, and open another restaurant with all of the stuff I have going on. I mean, this guy, I just, I just believe in him. His food is amazing. And it's very honest. And so John and I, and, and my right hand, Leo DeGroff, who you know Leo, of course, quite well, and, and Lorraine, we all work together on this concept of creating an environment. We always say that the ultimate hospitality is inviting people into your home, right? So 
we wanted to actually take that to the highest level and create a restaurant that was literally like John and LeRae's home. So we called it Apartment 13 because that's where they live. And we tried to make it feel like you're walking into their apartment for a dinner party. So the menu is set up with all of the things that John loves to cook. We don't have any way to describe it other than, uh, we just for lack of better terminology, we call it New York City cuisine because John grew up cooking in New York, and that's the only place he's ever cooked. And he's been influenced by a, a lot of chefs that he's worked with, from you know, Le Bernardin to Nobu to Bruno Chamey. To, so he's kind of all over the board, but not in a, in a confused way, and it's definitely not fusion. But, like, his range is just amazing. But as you can imagine, with his experience at Nobu and Le Bernardin, the raw bar and the... The, the crudo and the Japanese elements in the menu are ridiculous. But then, you know, this is the same guy mm. that I did Victor and Spoils with. So he's got this kind of Latin Mexican attitude in some of his other dishes that, that actually really um, fits the neighborhood as well, but it's just stuff that I crave. Can anyway, you talk to us a little bit about uh, cocktail and food Pairing, because this is something that I often uh, I, I struggle with, uh, because the wines that I tend to go for and that I always say I, I find to be best with uh, with food tend to be wines that are that are lower alcohol, higher acid kind of wines and uh, cocktails. I guess you can adjust the you know the acidity in in various ways, or or make them more balanced or more refreshing. But how how do you go about pairing food, especially let's say more delicate raw fish uh, with with cocktails? Uh, it's a, a great question, and and I agree with you. And, you know, lower alcohol, higher acids, um, not a lot of wood. Um, as a matter of fact, very little, if at all, depending on what you're eating. But certainly with those kinds of delicate foods, um, literally, Joe, on our menu, every single item on the menu is matched with a cocktail, mm. a beer a wine, and then either a sake or a sherry or something, you know, that, that I love, you know, something that I work in. And then when you flip the menu over, on the back of the menu are the matching icons that you find underneath the dishes with all of the matches. So all the wines by the glass, we've got like 40 wines by the glass, a half a dozen handcrafted New York State draft beers, these 13 cocktails we created for the menu, the 13 sherries, everything's 13 there. So the cocktails, the way we do this is I would – say to people as just kind of basic words of advice is, first of all, the food can't overpower the drink. Well, the drink can't overpower the food, just like with wine. And, and when we think about matching, you know, there, there are all these guidelines. But I think one of the things that people take for granted, but you know, unfortunately, at the same time, often overlook is this idea of texture, that, mm-hmm. you know, they, they need to be almost equal in texture. So, again, like with the wine or the, or the cocktail, if it's too big and the dish is too light, it dominates. Well, that sounds obvious, but it actually becomes the guiding principle to making these matches work. Then, as you mentioned, acid is absolutely essential for matching. So you mentioned raw bar. What I would put with raw bar is both sides of the spectrum. On one hand, I would put lighter, more fruit-forward, citrusier cocktails that have lower alcohol levels because of the dilution you know, because that's a bright, easy match, like putting a Fino Sherry or a nice, you know, crisp glass of Rieslings, for example, or something of that nature with it. On the other hand, when I'm eating oysters or when I'm eating, you know, shellfish or fish that has a lot of richness or a lot of oils, I can actually put straight 
spirits, like, for example, a Oaxacan mezcal chased with a little sangrita. Or I could actually put, um, you know, a drink like our Sherry Amor, which is kind of a, a take of the old Adonis cocktail or the bamboo cocktail. But basically, it's a martini, but not as strong as a martini because it has fino sherry and vermouth in it. So, I mean, uh, uh, you can take a straight cocktail and match it with something like oysters and actually have the oyster be the mixer. I think of the food as a mixer for the for the spirit. But what I do is I, I make the spirit taste the way I want to with the mixers, but incorporating the food as the final step of the mix. Then I think of the drink itself as a condiment for the food. Not a compliment, yes, but literally a condiment. So, for example, what do you do with your oyster? You put lemon on it, okay? Maybe you want to put hot sauce on it. Maybe you want to put our Tabasco gelée on it. Yeah, wait till you try that. It's sick. Um, what we would do is that, but now what if I put my drink with it? We actually do an oyster pairing menu from 5 to 8 every night where it's flights of sherry, flights of mezcals, flights of cocktails, flights of white wine, that are paired with, like, you get six oysters and three different tastes of one of those categories, and there's a, a whole menu of them, where you can come in and say, oh, cool, let me try how you match cocktails with oysters. And you get three different cocktails, little tiny tastes of them, you know, like minis, so you can try flights. It's really fun. That is that is a blast. I will be there sooner than you I'm think. Telling you, All right. This is you, Joe. Yeah. You're going to love this. Oh man, I this. love oysters and sherry and cocktails and all of everything you said. We're going to take we actually have to take a, uh, a a quick quick break, uh but we'll be right back on in the drink. The following is an actor reading an actual customer email from Heritage Foods USA. My family and I enjoyed the Heritage Turkey. It was far superior to the regular mass-produced turkeys in terms of flavor and texture. Absolutely delicious and worth the difference in price. We will never go back to the regular turkeys. It made our holidays more enjoyable. Thank you, Heritage Foods USA. Heritage Foods USA hopes you had a great holiday season. For more specials on pork, beef, and other meats, visit www.heritagefoodsusa.com. We're back on In the Drink, heritageradionetwork.org with Steve Olson. And we were talking about uh, his new restaurant, Apartment 13. Um, but Steve, you have so many exciting things going on. Um, we, we were touching on a little bit about, uh, about your interest in Mezcal. And I know that Ooh. you have a partnership with Del Maguey, which is perhaps the greatest Mezcal available here in, in New York. It's just truly outstanding. We just had uh, Phil Ward on the show um, last oh, week. Really? The year. Yeah, boy, is. Uh, he told us all about his trip down there and, and how kind of eye-opening and life-changing uh, visiting the uh, the producers of Del Maggie, uh was. What what a big fan he is uh, and, and and partner with you guys there. So uh, tell us tell us a little bit about how you got into mezcal because that seems like a little bit of a departure from some of the other uh, the other things you've been doing. Well, um, first of all, a shout out to Phil Ward because he's not only one of my dear, dear friends, but um, what an incredible bartender, what an incredible mind, what an incredible mezcal fanatic. <laughs> I mean, Maya Huel is truly, if, if anybody listening to this show has not yet been to Maya Huel, what are you waiting for? I mean, it's just one of the great bars on the planet, and I adore Phil. And, I can't and agree Kate, more. Um, yeah. This is it. 
speaking of people who love sherry, too, Katie and Phil are just uh, amazing that way. But um, to me, Mezcal is is actually not a departure, Joe. And uh, I, I love the way you threw the question out, knowing knowing me, because it actually <laughs> it speaks of my soul. <laughs> when I, um, you might, I don't know if you know this about me, but before I came back east to do the Mayflower Inn up in Washington, Connecticut, I spent about 12 years in Arizona. And I, I, went, I went to school in Arizona, and I got you know, in the restaurant business out there as I had mm-hmm. been you know, before college, even in high school. And um, I, just, I got really caught up in it. I was working in television and in the restaurant business both full-time, and I, I had that, you know, that moment that many people in our industry have. And it's okay, people, if you're listening, you know, that you can do this too. I was, you know, 25 years old and I'm managing this five-star, five-diamond, beautiful French restaurant. And, and I'm also trying to do the news on TV every day. And, you know, I'm getting up at the crack of dawn and going out on location. It's like, I can't do this. I'm going to die. And when I actually sat down and thought about it for five minutes, it was really easy. I just had to stop long enough to think about it. But making that decision between working in television and working in the restaurant business was a very simple thing. Um, I, I love the restaurant business because I'm surrounded by my family and because I can be producer and director and actor and screenwriter and set designer all at the same time in the restaurant business. And I love doing all of it. Now, I also have used the restaurant business as my opportunity to do all the things I love to do in you know, theater and in television, which is, you know, teaching and, and speaking and performing. And here we are on the radio with you show and so forth. And of course, I've done a lot of television since then. But anyway, so I, I lived in Arizona. And while I was there, I, I felt like it was my mission to help that great area of Phoenix become a restaurant destination, which I helped in a small way. And I did this, I ran a, this restaurant for seven years. And then I opened Christopher's with Christopher Gross, who's truly one of the great chefs on our planet and, a, and an influence to me. But while there, I became really enamored with tequila. I learned a lot about tequila. Christopher and I, when we opened the restaurant in the 89, 90, um, we had a tequila list. And people thought we were insane because here we are with Christopher, this brilliant French chef with this, you know, elegant Relais Chateau dining room. And, and we got a bistro out front. We had two restaurants working off the same kitchen. And, here I am with this tequila list, and people would say, oh, my God, how can you do that? That stuff, you know, they didn't realize. So I'd slide them a little, maybe Añejo and a snifter at the end of their 12-course tasting menu. Oh, man, that's such beautiful cognac. And I would say, yeah, well, that's the tequila you were laughing at earlier. Or I'd show them a Blanco and do a fresh, you know, we were doing handcrafted fresh ingredient cocktails back in those days, believe it or not, and nobody, there were very few people around that were doing things like that. And and people would be freaked out when they would have what would they would consider a vodka drink made with tequila. Anyway, I was going down to Mexico a lot, mm-hmm. and I found Mezcal while I was going down there. And then in the late 90s, I tasted uh, Del Maguey, and I said, oh, my God, what is this? This is, this is a Mezcal at a level that I've never imagined. I've always looked for this kind of stuff. And my one of my best friends, Jimmy Yeager, who owns Jimmy's in Aspen, which is an incredible restaurant and uh, you know a real destination. Jimmy is also a tequila and mezcal fanatic, and he had found them and was serving them. And the long story short is Jimmy and I and Melissa, my wife, um, were so fascinated and so enamored with these products that we we reached out to Ron Cooper and said, "We have to meet you." 
we set up a meeting and um, he wasn't going to be going back to Oaxaca for a couple of months and we couldn't wait. So we just went there on our own and we went to one of his palenques and we pretty much freaked out. This is in like 97, 98. And, and we just freaked out. And, you know, Ron is an artist and a brilliant one at that. And he believed, as we still do to this day, that his mezcal is liquid art. And he said, I am going to bring this and show it to the world because these Zapotec producers deserve to be recognized as artists. And there's a culture and a community and a history and a process here that is, you know, literally hundreds and hundreds of years old, absolutely predates the arrival of the Spanish. Now, forget the fact that they brought distillation. They brought Olympic stills, but they didn't bring distillation. These people were distilling long before the Spanish came. And, and he, his mission was to preserve this culture, which I felt was, became, it became my mission. It became Jimmy's mission. It became Phil's mission. It became Mr. Kelkofen's mission. And it is now the mission of literally hundreds of bartenders, the best bartenders and, and sommeliers and chefs all across the country of, of embracing this, this culture, this community, if you will. And, um, it, you know, in the beginning, nobody would drink mezcal, uh, except for chefs and sommeliers and bartenders who figured it out. But today it's become a category after 17 years of trying to help Ron. You know, I told him then, yeah. I, I just, I fell in love with him and what he was doing. And I said, look, man, you're obviously not in our business. Um, and, and, and I will help you. I said, just do me one favor, stay true to your mission and never make a decision about your company without at least consulting me first so I can kind of guide you and make sure you don't make the same mistakes that many people do in the spirits industry. And then um, we made a deal and we became fast friends. And my goal ever since has just been to turn people on to this incredible liquid and this incredible art form and this incredible culture and this these beautiful people that make this mezcal in their little tiny remote villages up in the mountains of Oaxaca by hand, every drop. You know, they make a few hundred or maybe a couple thousand liters a year. Not cases, liters. I mean, it's just, it's, it's, it's tiny, tiny production. And boy, is it, is it and, delicious, man. I, I absolutely... Absolutely love it. Let me ask you because you uh, you had given me um, these beautiful little copitas, the the mm-hmm. clay drinking cups, and uh, maybe it's just because I've had a lot of mezcal with you out of the copita, and and whenever you know we're drinking it, it's like it is just a fun and joyful experience. But I really do think there's there's something to drinking it out of that that yeah. And maybe it makes you think of some sort of connection with with uh, people who are drinking it in 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 Mexico. But what 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 is the story with those, and where can people find them? Because um, I really like well, them. Yeah, it's a great question, Joe. I mean, it, and it does it helps with the the entire cultural connection. The in in Oaxaca, in many of these villages, the Native Americans would be drinking their mezcal out of a jicara. And the hikara is just a little gourd that's dried out, mm-hmm. and it's made in a, and it's a little cup. And, and it looks just like that copita. Ron's mission, um, you know, to, to bring the culture was extended by saying, well, wait, if you're going to drink this mezcal, you can't just, you know, drink it out of a shot glass. You have to drink it out of the traditional. Well, you can't bring these hikaras into the United States because they're technically plant, you know, mm-hmm. even though they're dried and everything, and it would be no big deal. They would basically. But... You know, they, 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 you'll never get them through customs. So he started having one of the villages create these little copitas that mirror the same 
shape as a hikra. And he started, and he just gave them away. And they just gave them to accounts that would serve the mezcal. It just gave them to people to use, to drink. And it's become, you know, a tradition. As a matter of fact, any, anybody who's ever been to Oaxaca, and, and a whole lot of barmen who haven't, all carry their copita in their pocket at all times. Hmm. When you walk into a bar that serves Gay, if you take out your copita with your name on the back of it, there, there are bars all across the country. Jimmy Yeager started this at and Jimmy's, that, you know, you walk in and show them your copita, and you get a little shot of Vita Mezcal, you know, for like either free or for a little special price or whatever. It's your way of saying I'm part of the family, you know. And people carry these copitas with them everywhere. It's crazy. But you're right. It is a connection to the culture because that, you know, everything in Oaxaca is based around this clay. Um, but not everything, but there's a there's a huge influence of sculpture and ceramics and clay and 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 you know in the culture there. And so this idea of making this kind of um, almost terracotta clay copita mirroring the hikara just brings you right to that connection to Oaxaca. And there's absolutely no question the mezcal tastes different. What it does is it diffuses the alcohol. It's mm. it, Instead of, you know, in the tasting glass, that alcohol, it put it right in the middle of your nose. And here it diffuses it so you get to smell the fruit and the terroir and the earth of behind, the spiciness behind these mezcals. And not be focused all on the alcohol or on the smoke, but right into the middle you get the fruit. Right. I, so, I, yeah, I, they're, they're I, really cool. I, I and and you, honestly, to your question, you know, the only way you can get them is if you drink in a bar that uses them. However... To that end, um, you know the guys over at Cocktail Kingdom who have made made it so much better for all of us because you go to Cocktail Kingdom now and you can buy all the right tools and they've taken all the great cocktail books and done reprints of them. So if you couldn't find them at a at a garage sale or you know if the the Strand sold out of that stuff twenty years ago, guys, don't even go looking for them. You know they're gone. All the collectors have found all the old cocktail books. Well. These guys have um, have reprinted them all. So now you can have every great cocktail book ever written is online on Cocktail Kingdom and all the great tools. Such and, a and fan of Cocktail got, Kingdom. Now, now at well, home, you can, have re- at, you can have restaurant-quality equipment. And in restaurants, you can have what really you know is restaurant-quality equipment that, that we weren't able to get for, for such a long time. You know, in, six years ago, we weren't able to get that kind of quality of, of stuff for the restaurants, and now, now it's accessible to everyone. Uh, well, pretty soon, Cocktail Kingdom is actually going to have those copitas available. Oh, that is so outstanding that news. People can have them at home. Yeah, we finally... Ron... Uh, uh, finally broke down and said, wait a minute, how can we make them available? And, you know, Kelly, who works over there, and Greg Bohm, the owner, they they approached Ron and said, what if we made those copitas available to the public for you through Cocktail Kingdom? And he said, oh my God, that'd be fabulous. So if you go to mezcal.com, which is Ron's website, or you go to Cocktail Kingdom, very soon, if they're, they're, they, I don't think it's set up just yet, I'm not sure, but it will be very soon where you'll be able to actually get those copitas that Joe and I are talking about here and, and use them at home, which is really cool. That's outstanding. Uh, 
sadly, sadly, Steve, uh, we've we've come to the end of our time. Uh, no. I really feel like I have so much to talk to you. We we should we should do uh, an Ol- Olson month. About Greek wine or sherry or sake or all the things uh, we love. Or all the things we love, and that uh, that you are. I, it's amazing how you can be so expert and so uh, so knowledgeable in so many different things, uh, <laughs> and 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 making them all so so very exciting. But for us, before we leave. I, we should give a shout out to Greece because I had the only way that that day could have been better is if if my girlfriend Alyssa was there instead of you. I'm sorry, but uh, <laughs> Understood. when when we went don't, don't to uh, <laughs> Santorini and went for that swim oh. before lunch and then had lunch on the black sand beach, drank the Santorini wine. Oh my god, that is here to go, and then with the octopus with the octopus oh my god that is that was one of like the, the great highlights of my my entire life <laughs> i have to i have to agree with you i mean it's just that that you can't recreate that i mean you try we do that in our restaurants we try to recreate it but you're right just that 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 brisk swim in the sea and then getting out and drinking santorini and eating octopus and all that beautiful fish yes we had a great trip and and you know um you know, I mean, we're both huge fans of the wines from Greece and the wines that are coming out of there right now. And I will get you over to northern Greece. I mean, we um, I just came back from northern Greece. I took a group of, of our mutual friends over there, and it was absolutely uh, spectacular. It was far beyond what I could have even imagined. I've never done a trip, Joe, where I only stayed in the north. Mm-hmm. You know, I've always I've always kind of tried to cover as much of the country as possible, but there's just so much going on now. And I just felt like I'm going to just concentrate on the wines of North Greece this time. And I did that. And it was, I went to a few areas that I've never been. I went to a few uh, wineries that I hadn't yet visited, but I liked their wines. And I tasted them, you know, at different fairs and so forth or with other friends. And then I visited some of our favorites, you know, some of our friends that live up there that were kind of the anchors of my trip. And, oh, my God, it was just, it was mind-blowing. And I fell in love with the city of Thessaloniki. It just, it was, it was really great. I, I'm going to, I'm going to take you over there. Steve, where, wherever you, you tell me to go, I will be there. Whatever you tell me to drink, I will drink it. Cool. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and, and with, with that being said, thanks so much to everyone for listening to In the Drink. Um, check out uh, Steve's website, uh, Bar Smarts. Uh, there's such great, outstanding information on there. Um, and hopefully I'll see you at Apartment 13. And uh, just another quick reminder about Not My Day Job on October 27th. Get your tickets at notmydayjob.eventbrite.com. Thanks again, and we'll uh, we'll talk to you next Wednesday. Take care. Bye. Hey, Joe. Yes. Joe, if you can have them go. My website is akawinegeek.com. That's where you can reach me and then connect to all of those different things that we're doing. AKA winegeek.com. Uh, I'm, I'm on that website uh, frequently. I, I love it. Yes, Look, I looking looking for the it. next bar school uh, next bar school date as, as well, uh, which is connected All to right. your site. Uh, thanks Thank again, you. Steve. Really appreciate Thank it. Thank you, Joe. Okay. That was a great pleasure. It always is. Thank you. Okay, thanks for listening to this program on heritageradionetwork.org. You can find all of our archived programs on our website or as podcasts in the iTunes store by searching Heritage Radio Network. You can like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at Heritage underscore radio. 
You can email us questions at any time at info at heritageradionetwork.org. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization. To donate and become a member, visit our website today. Thanks for listening.